All right, welcome. Let's start with prayer. Please stand with me. Our Father, it is thy word that we would uh, read and and would uh, seek to understand this evening. It's not the words of men, but the words of God that, that feed our souls and that lead us to everlasting life. Pray that thou would anoint uh, thy, uh, thine own word, uh, give to us uh, eyes to behold our Savior uh, in the word that is read and preached and taught. We pray, Lord, that thou would guide and lead us by thy spirit, uh, for we recognize our own proneness to, to err apart from thy spirit guiding and leading us. Bless this time. Cleanse us, Lord, of our sins as we, as we do read and expound what we find in this portion of thy word. In Jesus' name, amen. Our focus uh, this evening is going to be upon one verse, and it will take up basically uh, the whole time together. But let's, then that verse is uh, John 14, 12, but let's just uh, pick up with the context beginning in verse 1 and so we'll read verses 1 through 12 John 14 1 through 12 let not your heart be troubled ye believe in God believe also in me in my father's house are many mansions if it were not so I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you and if I go and prepare a place for you I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go ye know, and the way ye know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father, but by me. If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also. And from henceforth ye know him, and have seen him. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you? And yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, Show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very works' sake. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than those or these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. In seeking to uh, comfort the troubled hearts of uh, the disciples, Jesus announcing that he was going to be departing and leaving them, the Lord Jesus declares to them that he's the only way, the truth, and the life. The only way to get to the Father is through Him, John fourteen six. This is uh, the exclusivity of Christianity, and we don't wear that badge in shame. We wear, wear that badge in honor, that Jesus is the only way. Uh, we don't have to apologize to anyone. Uh, that's what Jesus says about Himself. We're not declaring that as if we ourselves are uh, authoritative Jesus declares that about himself so Jesus 
did not uh, claim to be just a good person. Uh, he didn't claim just to be a moral teacher, as many are willing to say about him today. Uh, no, Jesus declared that he himself was God, son of God, and having the very nature of God. He declared himself to be the Messiah, the anointed one. He declared himself to be not a way to the Father, but the only way to the Father, the way, the truth, and the life. And if that's not true, that he's the Son of God, if it's not true he's the Messiah, if it's not true that he is the way, the truth, and the life, then I submit to you he's neither good nor is he a moral teacher. Uh, rather, he's a liar and a lunatic if those things are not true. But they are true. And therefore, he's neither a liar nor a lunatic, but he is Lord. He is exactly what he declared himself to be. Jesus also clearly stated to Philip in John 14, 9, that to see him, Jesus, was to see the Father. That is, Jesus is basically saying that he is the embodiment of the same divine nature of the Father as the Father has, a divine nature. Not the same person, different persons, but the same divine nature. And uh, Jesus here therefore distinguishes himself from the Father. He's not saying that the Father and the Son are one in person, uh, but they are one in nature. And to see the Son, uh, son is to see the Father, because both are God, uh, one God. Both have the same divine nature. Not two gods, one God. Uh, not three gods, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God. Eternally existing as three persons, Three distinct persons. Uh, and uh, so we, not to confuse the persons as to their identity. It wasn't the Father who came to the world, born of a virgin, and uh, was crucified upon the cross. That was the second person of the Holy Trinity. Um, and it was not uh, uh, Jesus who was sent uh, into the world after his ascension. Uh, it was the Holy Spirit that was sent into the world to minister and to apply the redemption Jesus had purchased. Uh, it was not uh, the Spirit of God that sent Jesus uh, into the world to become flesh. It was the Father that did so. So there's a distinction between the persons, but they all share the exact same divine nature, uh, eternal uh, infinite in their being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. So let's look at verse 12. Again, verse 12. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. So this is quite, quite a um, statement that the Lord Jesus makes. Um, greater works than the works that Jesus, than the works that Jesus did, uh, ye shall do. I mean, Jesus raised the dead. Jesus walked on water. Jesus multiplied uh, a few loaves of bread and fish to feed thousands more, on more, more than one occasion. Uh, he healed all of the multitudes of sick people that came to him. He cast out demons. Uh, some of those miracles were replicated and, and, and some of those mighty works were performed by the apostles that uh, followed um, the Lord Jesus after Jesus ascended into heaven. I mean, they were given that ability even while Jesus was here upon the earth. He, he gave them that power and authority to perform those works. Uh, and so um, we'll get to this in a moment. So how, 
how is it that those who believe in him will do even greater works? So we'll get to that question in, in just a, a moment. But I do want to I do want to spend some time talking about the matter of miracles and um, this, you know, the, the supernatural power um, that the, the Lord does uh, perform and does exercise in the earth and in the world. And what Jesus says in verse 12 really follows what he ended in verse 11 saying, or else believe me for the very work's sake, for his miraculous works. So tying into that, he then says in verse 12, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also. So this is intended to be a comfort to the apostles, to the disciples that are there. That's who he's speaking to. It's intended to comfort them that though he's leaving, he's not leaving them defenseless. He's not leaving them without um, power and authority, which they have already been exercising. He's not taking that with him. Uh, the, the apostles will be able uh, to continue to show forth uh, the authority and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. He would supply uh, that power unto them so that they would be able to perform uh, mighty works uh, as those who are apostles, prophets, and evangelists. Um, usually the older uh, Protestant uh, and Reformed uh, scholars and teachers from the First and Second Reformation uh, saw the offices of apostle and prophet and evangelist, saw those to be um, not permanent offices, uh, but uh, temporary offices. Um, they saw them as extraordinary offices, not ordinary offices. Ordinary offices being... Uh, pastor, teacher, uh, elder, deacon. Those are the ordinary and permanent offices within the church. But the, but the extraordinary and the uh, temporary offices um, are by our Protestant uh, forefathers and uh, even before that um, throughout church history, uh, are the apostles, prophets, and evangelists. Now, for example, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, notice verse 12, what the apostle Paul says, <clears throat> Truly the signs of an apostle were wrought among you in all patience in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. There seems to be uh, here something by way of the miraculous that would be confirmation of the office of an apostle. The, the miraculous, the mighty signs, the mighty wonders would uh, be exercised by them uh, as confirmation both to their office that they were apostles and, and to the message that they brought, uh, that it was a message that was from the Lord Jesus Christ as well, that they were spokesmen for Jesus. And what they wrote was the inspired word of God uh, as apostles, and they confirmed it through these signs and wonders uh, that were performed. So that's, I think, very important um, that, uh, that the Lord gave to his apostles the miraculous in order to be a sign as to their authority, as to uh, who they represented, that they were apostles of Jesus Christ. Many, uh, you know, he goes on to talk about that there are those who... Uh, come forward and claim to be apostles. And uh, he's demonstrating, he said, our, the, the miraculous works that we perform and the truth that we proclaim 
demonstrate our apostolic authority. Likewise, notice in sec, or Hebrews chapter 2, Hebrews chapter 2, in verses 3 through 4. <clears throat> How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? Notice what it says now in verse 4. God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders, and with diver miracles, gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. So those who brought the gospel of salvation uh, and proclaimed uh, the truth of, of the Lord Jesus Christ speaking, I think, of the apostles once again, uh, were confirmed, it says, by both signs and wonders, divers, miracles, and gifts of the Holy Ghost, according to his, that is, the Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit's own will. So once again, we, we understand that these signs and wonders, these miraculous works that Jesus himself performed, believe me because of my works and then those works he says those who believe on me those works shall he also do speaking again I think most directly to the apostles uh, who he's speaking to right uh, at that time but I think that um, we have to be ever so careful uh, because uh, the Bible also speaks of uh, lying wonders, lying miracles um, that do not confirm the truth, but actually confirm lies. The miraculous and deception to take one's eyes off of what is being said to simply focus upon what is performed. It's kind of, again, uh, you know, like an illusionist will do, um, you know, don't, don't look at what is real, you know, they, they tend to have you look away from what they're doing, a sleight of hand and this type of thing. So likewise, look away from what I'm saying, only focus on what I'm doing. Uh, false teachers, false prophets, false so-called evangelists, whatever it may be, we're warned, again, not to be gullible, uh, not to just believe anything uh, but because it's miraculous or claims to be miraculous, even if it is miraculous. Literally, it's, it, it's not a fake as far as it being something real that's been performed. Even at that, if the message that is proclaimed is contrary to God's word, God's truth. It's a lying wonder. It's a lying miracle. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 speaks of the man of sin, the son of perdition, uh, who uh, is uh, antichrist and is that popish, that papal antichrist and the lying wonders that this person will do in order to deceive. 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 9 through 10 says, Even him, speaking of the man of sin, this papal antichrist, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness, of unrighteousness in them that perish because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. So again, we have to be ever so careful. We're warned many times uh, in scripture uh, not to uh, merely follow one because of the miracles that are performed. I've mentioned this on different occasions, but even in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy 13, 
the Lord tells Moses that if a prophet arises and performs something miraculous by way of, of an event that is yet to come, and it comes true exactly as was prophesied, but he leads the people away from the truth that uh, no matter if what actually was prophesied came true, the Lord says, I'm testing you to see whether you're going to follow the miracle or whether you're going to follow the truth. Uh, the truth is not, again, uh, going to deceive you, but the miracle can, and therefore do not be misled uh, by that uh, at all. Now, having said that we have to, we have to test um, those who perform miracles. We don't just, you know, receive uh, what someone does at face value, that we have to test and we have to be careful. Um, I think that it's healthy, therefore, um, for us, like the Bereans, uh, to in Acts seventeen eleven, they even tested the apostles themselves, and the word of God in, in Acts seventeen eleven says that they they received the word of God gladly, but then it says uh, that they examined what was said and and compared it to Scripture. They compared what the apostles said to the scripture that they had, which was the Old Testament. And they are commended. They're said to be, the Bereans are said to be more noble than those in Thessalonica because they did that. Does that mean that uh, they're a bunch of skeptics? Why would they be commended? I think that, again, uh, uh, to be gullible uh, is uh, certainly... Uh, very, very dangerous. Uh, to be uh, skeptical in light of truth uh, is also dangerous. But not to simply take and test everything according to God's word. That's not being skeptical. Uh, that's, again, uh, being healthy. That's being sound and bringing everything to God's word. The promise of Jesus here in John 14, 12, that uh, he that believeth on me the works that I do shall he do also, uh, is likewise very similar to what Jesus says at the end of Mark, chapter 16, verses 17 through 18. Mark 16, 17 through 18. Lord Jesus uh, is giving the the Great Commission, go ye, in verse 15, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. So here's again the miraculous uh, that is that is promised uh, by the Lord Jesus before he ascends into heaven. And we see again that uh, that promise fulfilled in, in the book of Acts. Um, you know, on the day of Pentecost, uh, the speaking in languages that they had never learned uh, we begin to see um, uh, those times when uh, demons are cast out, uh, when the sick recovered from their illness, and even uh, the serpents. Uh, Paul was uh, bitten by a deadly uh, viper, and uh, he had no ill effect from it. This is not, uh, you know, incidentally, this is not uh, warranting the kind of snake handling that goes on in some cults um, uh, and, uh, again, testing God, uh, you know, just uh, uh, 
presumption. Uh, that's not faith. That's presumption. This is not what uh, what this is talking about. They'll handle serpents. It's talking about what happened to Paul. <laughs> that he was bitten in that particular case and the poison from the serpent did not affect him. Now, it talks about uh, also drinking any deadly thing and it shall not hurt them. Now, we don't have a particular instance in which, uh, in scripture in which that happened uh, uh, subsequent to the ascension of Christ, but there is the account that uh, John the Apostle was given. This is This is... Uh, written by, um, not in scripture, but subsequently uh, by uh, historians, Christian historians, that there is the account that he was given poison to drink and it did not affect him. Uh, and so, uh, again, um, these, are, these are all miraculous um, events and acts uh, that uh, did, in fact, follow uh, the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. And um, Jesus said, uh, and in context in John 14, and uh, verse 12 in particular, this was intended by the Lord Jesus to comfort his disciples, that they were not alone, uh, that, they, that Jesus gave to them that power to remind them whose representatives they were, that they were his apostles, and so they did continue to show that forth. Um, were there any others besides the apostles at that time that were able to do uh, miraculous uh, acts and, you know, as are spoken of here? And I think that if we read 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14, I would say yes. There are other uh, people that would seem to have these abilities and these powers. And I would, I would say most likely these were those who were, again, if not apostles, that they were uh, those who proclaimed the gospel. They were ministers so that, again, the miracles confirmed the message. Uh, they, were, they were always to be confirmation to the truth, to the message that was preached. And so um, it would seem that the, those miraculous gifts were given to others that were called and ordained to proclaim the word. And so the next question is, are these miraculous gifts still given by Christ to his church? Now, before answering that question, or seeking to give a you know, a brief answer to that question. It would take uh, quite a long time to give a detailed answer to the question, but I'll try to give a, a short answer to the question this evening. But even before uh, beginning to answer that question, let me make it perfectly clear that uh, it is the wholehearted affirmation confession of this minister and of our church, the RPNA, Reformed Presbyterian North America, uh, that the biblical canon is closed. It is closed. There is no new canonical revelation uh, that God will ever give in addition to the 39 books of the Old Testament and the 27 books of the New Testament. The Bible alone uh, is our supreme and only infallible standard uh, for all matters of doctrine worship, church government, and discipline in the church, and for all matters of faith and life as well. We are committed to the doctrine of sola scriptura, that is, the scripture alone, which is to say that scripture is our only infallible standard of faith and practice to which God's people are to appeal with regard to um, whatever controversies, whatever uh, matters of faith and practice, they are always to go to the word of God as the final appeal. It, uh, in the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 1, section 10, we read a summary of this doctrine. 
the supreme judge by which all controversies of religion are to be determined and all decrees of councils, opinions of ancient writers and doctrines of men and private spirits are to be examined and in whose sentence we are to rest can be no other but the Holy Spirit speaking in the scripture. So let's be clear uh, about that, uh, first of all, uh, that uh, the canon is closed, whatever we may say uh, in the next few moments, uh, we want to keep that in mind. As I noted uh, earlier that the, our Reformed forefathers did believe, however, uh, that though the offices of apostle prophet, evangelist, as miraculous, uh, miracle-working offices, extraordinary offices, uh, can, uh, only continued uh, until uh, the last of those apostles, um, uh, John, lived that the, those offices ceased at that particular time as extraordinary offices, miracle-working offices. Nevertheless, the ordinary offices continue throughout this age, that of pastor, teacher, elder, and deacon. Those continue. The extraordinary offices uh, are uh, spoken of in Scripture as being foundational in, in, to the church. They are the foundation along with Christ. They're not a part of the ongoing superstructure that's being built you know, on top of the foundation. They are the foundation. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, uh, we read, and are built, the saints basically, um, both Jews and Gentiles, uh, the, the household of God, uh, they are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. And so uh, that, that would be uh, very important for us to realize uh, that they are the foundation. We afterwards the church afterwards, they're being built upon that which has already been, been laid and cannot be relayed any more than the ministry of Jesus can be relayed as being foundational to the church. So the ministry uh, of the apostles and prophets is not a, an ongoing office that continues to be relayed and relayed and relayed uh, and so I think we need to understand that. That is very, very unique um, because of, they, were, they were, again, um, used by the Lord uh, to give us, uh, in the New Testament, uh, the Scripture. Um, they uh, had a foundational uh, office in that regard, giving to us canonical Scripture, uh, giving to us the Word of God and confirming it by their miracles. Um, it being foundational that way, therefore, again, uh, it's not something any more than the ministry of Christ going to be continually uh, laid again and again and again. And that's why we do not believe that we are adding or we can add to Scripture because those apostles and prophets uh, are, as to their offices, are no longer here. Um, if they were, I would say we could continue to add uh, to canonical scripture but we cannot uh, if they are no longer here um, again the reason the Roman Catholic Church believes that their um, that their uh, oral tradition or the traditions that they affirm uh, by uh, the magisterium by the uh, the Pope speaking ex cathedra um, are equal to scripture is because they believe that the apostolic office continues through Peter and through uh, all subsequent popes to be um, uh, in the church. So the apostolic office in the Roman Catholic Church continues. Again, as Protestants, we believe, no, that's not the case. Um, the office of 
apostle, and prophet has been a part of the original foundation and does not continue to be laid um, as those who are giving to us uh, any longer pronouncements uh, that are equal in authority to Scripture. That's not to deny that um, that sola scriptura does not deny that there are um, st other standards than the scripture, um, but the scripture is the only infallible standard. We can have subordinate standards that summarize what God's word teaches, our confession of faith, catechisms, etc., covenants. Those are subordinate standards. We can still, and, and, and we do maintain sola scriptura, it's the supreme standard but to say it's a supreme standard is to imply that, that there can be also subordinate standards. But they must, again, uh, be in agreement with the supreme standard, unless, uh, otherwise they have no authority. Let me also um, note that though the offices, these extraordinary offices of apostle, prophet, and evangelist uh, no longer are with us, they, are, they were uh, temporary, uh, they were uh, given by Christ to the church at that period of time uh, to uh, lay the foundation uh, for the church and the scripture, the New Testament for us. That's not to say, and we have to be very, very careful here, that's not to say that God cannot do the miraculous today. It, it's one thing to say that the office, those offices no longer are with us today. It's another thing to say God no longer performs miracles. That's quite different. God can perform a miracle any time he wants to perform a miracle. He's God. We cannot limit God if he's not, and again, for God to limit himself, uh, you know, can God limit his knowledge? Can God limit his uh, um, omniscience can he uh, uh, can he uh, uh, can he limit his omnipresence? Uh, of course not. If he were to limit himself in any of those things, he would be God, and he cannot limit his power. He chooses to do whatever he wants to do with regard to healing, with regard to any other miraculous event. That's up to God, and we cannot dictate to God what he can or cannot do. So though we believe in the cessation of canonical scripture, it's ended. Uh, we're not adding new books to the Bible or new pronouncements that are, that are um, inspired uh, in doctrine, worship, church government, uh, new ethical commands that, got, that are not already revealed in the scripture. We're not adding any of that. Nevertheless, can God give people, if he chooses to do so, uh, knowledge of an event that is yet to come? Can God give to someone, uh, is that a violation of uh, sola scriptura? To, to give to someone a knowledge that's beyond what they would ordinarily have to be able to say uh, and to be able to, to speak concerning something that is yet to come. Um, I don't think that that's a violation of, of sola scriptura. Um, I, I believe that, in fact, these types of uh, events are, uh, are, are mentioned uh, by our Reformed forefathers as occurring during the First and Second Reformations. Uh, let me just give you very quickly three examples John Owen, uh, in his works, 
uh, volume 4, page 305, says, It is not unlikely, but that God might on some occasions, for a longer season, put forth his power in some miraculous operations. And so he yet may do, and perhaps doth sometimes, yet may do. In other words, in the present time. He didn't deny that that was possible. That was not uh, contrary uh, to the closing of the canon uh, and the 39 books of the Old Testament, 27 books of the New Testament. It was nothing inconsistent in John Owen's mind with God performing the miraculous uh, at the present time. Uh, Samuel Rutherford says in uh, his work, A Survey of Spiritual Antichrist, uh, page 42, uh, and I quote, There is a third revelation of some particular men who have foretold things to come even since the ceasing of the word, that is the closing of the canon, as John Huss, Wycliffe, Luther have foretold things to come, and they certainly fell out. And in our nation of Scotland, Mr. George Wizard foretold that Cardinal Beaton should not come out alive at the gates of the castle of St. Andrews, but that he should die a shameful death, and he that is beaten, Cardinal Beaton, was hanged over the window that he did not look at, that he did look out at when he saw the man of God, namely Wishart, burnt. Mr. Knox, this is continuing with Rutherford's quote, Mr. Knox prophesied of the hanging of the Lord of Grange. Uh, Mr. David, John Davidson uttered prophecies known to many of the kingdom, divers holy and mortified uh, preachers in England have done the like. Uh, that's the end of that quote. Then uh, one from uh, the Netherlands, the Reformed Church of the Netherlands, uh, William Abrockel, uh, says this, uh, We do believe, however, that the spirit of prophecy concerning future events has not fully ceased in the church. We believe that the Lord will still reveal to this or that one of his faithful servants such things which relate either to themselves, his judgment upon the enemies of the church, redemption, or the oppression of the church. This agrees with what Christ said, and he will show you things to come, John 16, 13. Likewise, we, we read of various miraculous events in the lives of uh, the reformers of the First and Second Reformation. We've noted some of them in these quotes, but uh, Luther, Knox, Welch, um, uh, Cameron, Cargill, Alexander Peden, uh, which I don't have time to detail at this moment, whether they be healings, uh, even uh, raising the dead, uh, uh, having been given knowledge of future events, not new revelation of moral or doctrinal truth, but concerning future events. And uh, again, the book Scott's Worthies uh, is full and replete of many, many such uh, miraculous events uh, performed uh, at that time that has many, many witnesses um, that testify that they were there and witnessed these things. Well, how does that comport with the Westminster Confession of Faith? Uh, when the Westminster Confession of Faith says, um, speaking of, well, let me just read uh, chapter 1, section 1. Although the light of nature and the works of creation and providence do so far manifest the goodness, wisdom, and power of God as to leave men inexcusable, yet they are not sufficient to give that knowledge of God and of his will, which is necessary unto salvation. In other words, um, God's revelation in nature is sufficient to make us uh, know that there's God and, and that, he, that he is a, a powerful and a mighty God who's created everything and that he is to be obeyed. Uh, so that, that is sufficiently revealed in creation. 
Um, and that's natural revelation. But it's not sufficient to uh, show to us how to become saved. We need special revelation for that, the Word of God, and uh, which reveals uh, the coming of Jesus Christ. So it goes on to say, Therefore it pleased the Lord at sundry times and in divers manners to reveal himself and to declare that his will unto his church, and afterwards for the better preserving and propagating of the truth, and for the more sure establishment and comfort of the church against the corruption of the flesh and the malice of Satan and of the world, to commit the same holy unto writing, which maketh the Holy Scripture to be most necessary, those former ways of God's revealing his will unto his people being now ceased. So um, how does what we just talked about, that God gives this ability at times to, uh, uh, to his servants, uh, who, again, confirm by way of their standing for the truth, uh, that uh, they are God's faithful servants, uh, how does uh, what we learned, uh, they were even like Ruth, uh, Samuel Rutherford, George Gillespie has a lot to say as well with regard to these matters. They were commissioners to the Westminster Assembly. Uh, did the fact that they believed that God could at times give um, that ability to predict the future, did that contradict what Samuel Rutherford and George Gillespie approved of here that said those former ways of God's revealing his will unto his people now cease, talking about by way of dreams, by way of uh, visions, by way of prophecies that were given, those ways now ceased. Uh, did they see that as a contradiction? I don't think so. I don't see how they could possibly have approved of this if they thought uh, what they uh, said in other ways that it was it was a gift that God gave or an ability God gave on certain occasions to men to predict the future. I don't think that they saw that as contradictory. What is being said here, those former ways of God's revealing his will unto his people being now ceased, what's what the confession is talking about is that God no longer reveals his will uh, concerning salvation, concerning um, uh, his, his moral commandments, uh, concerning doctrine, concerning worship. He no longer reveals that by way of, of um, visions and dreams or by way of prophecy. It's all given to us in his word. So when it says uh, these former ways of God's revealing his will unto his people now cease. Revealing his way, his will concerning salvation and how to please him by way of obedience to him. That's all revealed to us in God's word. So any, any uh, predictive prophecy that God, that ability to predict the future uh, to any of his servants is not revealing salvation, is not revealing any new commandments, is not revealing uh, anything with, with regard to doctrine or worship or church government. That's all in the Word of God. That's settled. That's firm. So what God gives by way of an ability, a, a, a knowledge of the future, uh, only relates to um, judgment concerning God's enemies relates to protection and preservation of God's people, letting God's people know that there's danger and that they should uh, escape that danger that's, um, that's soon to come upon them. And so those are the kinds of things that are, that are revealed by way of these prophecies, both to, to highlight the fact that God is judging his enemies and is preserving his people by way of these predictions that are that are given. But understand, it's, it's nothing new by way of doctrine, worship, government of the church, nothing new by way of some moral commandment uh, uh, that, that we already have all of God's moral commandments uh, given to us uh, in Scripture. So 
I, that I think is very, very important for us to, uh, to understand uh, what the confession of faith is saying at that point. And it's not denying that these things could, by way of prophecy, a, a, a knowledge that God could give to someone of what may happen uh, in the near future. Uh, and again, if it doesn't come true, what does that say? Well, it says that, you know, again, that person's not a true prophet. Um, and so these things that were prophesied, no one ever said, well, you know, John Knox said this, and it never came true. I mean, uh, there, there aren't those kinds of testimonies or witnesses uh, concerning, uh, and they, they didn't make that their ministry to make these predictions. They were very, very seldom that they did make such predictions. But when they did, those things came true um, as, as were predicted. Why does God do that then and not now? Again, that's in the wisdom of God. Uh, we, we don't have an answer to all of those questions, but to limit and say that God cannot do that, I think uh, because that would be a violation of sola scriptura, I don't even think, as I said, that those who were commissioners to the Westminster Assembly believed that that was a contradiction of sola scriptura. Uh, they saw it as perfectly compatible uh, with sola scriptura. <clears throat> but again, just want to, before we bring this to a close, I just want to highlight once again that uh, we cannot be gullible uh, simply because uh, I, uh, even if somebody does predict what's going to happen doesn't mean simply because they do so that we're to follow them because it's, uh, it, the truth is that which they proclaim and what they believe, their doctrine, their worship, their government, that's again what confirms or that is the uh, what the predictive prophecy must uh, confirm is the truth of God. Um, the, the predictive prophecy doesn't stand by itself. It has to be, again, judged by God's word. God's word is still the supreme standard uh, in all of these matters. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 7, uh, verses 15 through 20, uh, that we would know, basically, uh, who are false prophets by their fruit. Uh, that's how we would judge them, is by their fruit. Uh, the fruit of their life, their, their practice. Uh, do, they, uh, do they love God and show their love for God by way of their faithfulness uh, in their marriage, uh, in their um, relationships with one another, in their own personal life, um, are they those who are growing and uh, exhibiting the fruit of the Holy Spirit uh, in their lives, so in their practice and in their doctrine? Uh, and so that, again, uh, those are the fruits that we are to look at. Likewise, in uh, 1 John verses 4, 1 through 3, um, again, we're told not to be gullible. 1 John 4, 1 through 3, Apostle John says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. And then they, John gives a test, basically what we've been saying. You, know, you, you test their doctrine. In this particular case, John uses one particular doctrine. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And then every spirit that doesn't confess, that is, is not of God. And so we're to apply uh, the test from Scripture uh, for those who claim that they uh, are prophets, uh, that they uh, have uh, the, uh, the ability to perform miracles, and uh, this type of thing. We are to, again, examine their fruit Jesus says uh, in John 14, 12, an interesting statement. He says that uh, 
Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also. But notice, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go to, unto my Father. How can we do greater works than what Jesus did? I mean, again, I don't see any of the apostles multiplying bread and fish. Um, I don't see them turning water into wine. Um, I don't see them walking on the water, you know, calming the storm. Uh, so there's a lot of miracles that we read about concerning Jesus that we don't see that the apostles themselves perform. So what does it mean greater works than these shall he do because I go unto my Father. Well, I, I think that the uh, greater um, probably should be understood greater in number, greater works because Jesus was one individual. There are many more apostles and as I said, probably others that were gifted with uh, supernatural gifts. So it's greater works will ye do because there's more of you. Also greater uh, works that, you, that they would do because they're not limited to Israel, uh, within the confines of Israel, greater that they will be going out to the, to the known world uh, at that time. So greater in that sense as well, uh, that uh, it would not be limited to Israel. So uh, again, I don't think we're talking here, uh, Jesus isn't talking about that they'll do greater, more mighty works than Jesus did, but that they are, the increase of those works would be greater and the uh, extension of those works to, to the whole world would be greater. So in conclusion, let's not be like Thomas uh, who demanded a miraculous sign before he would believe. We don't need miraculous signs in order to believe. Uh, we have the Bible uh, filled with miraculous signs. If we don't believe that, then we're not going to believe something that uh, is performed in front of us. Um, that's, that's what faith is all about. It's, it, it's believing what is revealed unto us. And so um, uh, Thomas wouldn't believe, he said, unless he was able to touch the wounds uh, of the Lord Jesus, that Jesus was raised from the dead. Uh, let's not be, be, be like Thomas in that respect. Let's be rather like the Bereans whom I referred earlier, who follow Christ, who hear his voice and, and, and hear the doctrine of Christ in his word, uh, who test everything according to God's word. Even our, even our subordinate standards, even the decisions that... Uh, um, uh, a presbytery or eldership make tested according to God's word. God's word is supreme. We do believe in lesser uh, standards, subordinate standards, but they must they must be agreeable to God's word, lest they uh, otherwise they have uh, no authority other than the mere authority of men, and the mere authority of man cannot rule over our consciences. Uh, only the authority of God can rule over our consciences. We must uh, see God uh, presently in our, in our lives, working in our lives uh, as being a mighty work, a mighty demonstration. I think that the greatest miracle that God performs whether in the Old Testament, or whether in the New Testament, or whether in this day and age, the greatest miracle God performs is regeneration, is taking a heart that is dead to God and making it alive to God. I submit to you, that's a greater miracle than the original creation, the new creation is a greater miracle than the first creation. Because this, this first creation is going to pass away. 
it's going to be renewed, it's going to be restored, the new heaven and new earth. But the new creation, which is worked within us, will never pass away. That's a greater miracle. And so we can, I think, appreciate and, and say, praise God, the greatest miracle that God performs has been worked within my life. I'm a new creation in Christ. I'm not like I was. God has changed my life. Am I absolutely perfect and sinless now? No, but he is changing me. I am being conformed to the image of Christ. And there is coming a time when I will be glorified and I will be sinless and I will be perfected. And so will you who trust in Jesus Christ. That's the greatest miracle uh, that I believe the Lord performs. And we are that miracle by God's grace. Please stand with me in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we would not limit thee. Thou art a God who does wondrous things, mighty things, who ordains uh, uh, that which uh, is without means and uh, does ordain things that occur by means, by second causes. But Lord, thou art not any less involved in this world. Thou art not any less powerful because we do not see the same thing happening as in the ministry of Christ or the apostolic age. Those were, again, foundational offices given to uh, the church uh, to, build, uh, to build upon. And we, however, thank thee uh, that we have thy word now that we can test whatever... Uh, person who claims to perform that which is miraculous or a prophecy, a predictive prophecy, that we can test all of these things by thy word. And we, we thank thee that uh, we are not left um, helpless in these matters. Help us, our God, to, uh, to be good students. Help us, our Lord, uh, to... Uh, to know that um, thy word is truth. And uh, we thank thee and praise thee for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Are there any questions from, uh, I didn't know if uh, perhaps you, this kind of a controversial subject, and uh, didn't know if maybe you have some uh, questions from that, you know, I come out, I, I could have mentioned that, I suppose, in the course of the uh, study, but I come out of a Pentecostal charismatic background, so these types of uh, claims um, were not unfamiliar um, uh, to me and my wife uh, as we were growing up. So, um, it's, and even ourselves claim to have some of these miraculous abilities, uh, like speaking in tongues. Uh, that type of thing. So, you know, I, we, uh, we, we understand, I think, where some of these folks are coming from. You know, some are, I believe, sincere. Some, I don't believe, are sincere. Um, but, uh, but whether they're sincere or not is not the issue uh, when it comes to the matter of the truth, the matter uh, that whether they're sincere or not it still needs to be taken to God's word. When I realized that, um, that uh, when I compared what I thought I had by way of a gift, a supernatural gift, to what God said about speaking in tongues, I realized it's not the same thing that God's talking about in his word. Therefore, I'm, not, uh, I'm going to rather rest upon God's word and deny what I claim to have, because if it doesn't have uh, the, um, the uh, backing of God's word, I'm, I'm not going to just claim an experience. 
uh, and uh, say that my based upon my experience because the experience was you know it was something that was in my own mind edifying uh, I found benefit from it uh, because I thought I was speaking in a language God gave to me uh, and I and and, um, and yet that's not the final arbiter standard whether I feel good about it uh, that doesn't matter either what we have to go to again is God's word uh, does God say that that's the same thing and that's the problem with so many of pe uh, so many people today who um, claim to have these gifts they're not you know when we measure them to what God says they don't measure up uh, to be the same gifts uh, I didn't have a foreign language that I was speaking it was it was basically a gibberish um, and yet that's what I was taught that that's uh, that that's speaking what speaking tongues is uh, and so um, I was told God understands what it is, whether anybody else does uh, or not. Um, you know, it's a private prayer language, so um, continue to use it. But I didn't find that in, uh, taught in the Bible. Um, on the day of Pentecost, when God gave that gift, uh, all the people there heard God, God's word in their own language, and they were coming from different parts of the world. They heard it in their own language. So, anyway, um, I have, have a background in, in this, and I think I understand to some degree where people are coming from, but any questions? Okay. All right, thank you all for joining us. You are dismissed.